This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is former Commissioner Paul Technibu, and you're listening to Iron Clock, the eye test for two. Well, welcome to the eye test for two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we are joined today, as we always are, by our Hall of Fame producer, Mr. Ian Glendon. Um, now, as some of you know, Ira and Ian live in the Tampa area. Ira actually lives in Tampa itself. Ian lives in St. Petersburg, so they're in the Tampa Bay area. And, and just because of that, I would think they'd have something, something at least to say about their most famous resident that is outside of the sage, okay? So I'm talking, of course, about Tom Brady, who, according to reports this week, will take over as Fox's number one analyst. Um, what was that, our 10 years, 375 million? Give or take a million, yeah, yeah, give or take. Yeah, kind of what you got going with Ian here. Uh, but he's gonna do that when he retires, and that would be when, Ian? When's he gonna retire? Uh, 2027. There you go, okay. Anyway, when he does that, he's gonna get a big payday. And Ira, you've covered him. Ian, You've listened to him. I've covered him. I've listened to him. What makes you think he'd be a good analyst? Because, guys, honestly, he's about as vanilla as you get. He is. I mean, Drew Brees isn't exactly shaking up the world either in the booth yet. Uh, but Brady's showing a little bit more of his personality, Clark, uh, since he's come uh, out of Foxborough, out of Belichick's uh, clutches. Now, Clark, you're not going to like this because you have a statue of Brady in, in your living room. I, I understand that. But, Clark, I, I got a little Brady fatigue. I do. Yeah, I, I got right. Brady I do too. Fatigue. I do too. I mean, the, the golf, it might be a fumble. Now now the uh, the Fox announcements, um, TB12, um, Formula One in Miami. Clark, I, I'm, I'm over it. Kentucky over Derby. It. Yeah, I, I agree with yeah, you. I like Kentucky the better inclusive. You know, and I'm starting to wonder, Clark, now, you know, this might be outrageous, and, and Ian isn't going to like it. But, Clark, I'm starting to wonder whether this 100% commitment that he's famous for and that drives him, uh, is, is that waning a little bit? Ian, are you worried at all? Not one bit. And, hey, call me call me a, a fan all you want, but I would say that I still think when it comes down to it, if he's faced with the idea of, analyzing a Super Bowl or playing in a Super Bowl, and if he still feels like he's able to, I think 100% he'd rather be playing in it. Um, I, I think this is just him banking on, and, and Fox banking on his name, and just his knowledge of the game and hoping that it works. And, and to him, I mean, the guy's been playing so long that this is going to dwarf his career earnings when, in reality, this is going to be the norm for top-tier quarterbacks and something he probably should earn twice over if he started getting paid this decade as opposed to 2000. But I, I, we, we've been down this road before, and I think back to guys like Joe Montana, Dan Marino, those were big-name quarterbacks, but they weren't particularly good analysts. And no real knock on them. That's just who they were. That was their personality. I mean, Joe was um, very shy, honestly. It just wasn't that good, and, and Marino really wasn't good in a social setting. So uh, it didn't translate there. 
But I, I also think back to what you said once before, you know, when you, when you tune into a ball game, do you really tune in to listen to the announcers? And the answer is no, you tune in to watch the game. So 375 million, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. This no, Clark, I'll, I'll give you Clark, I'll give you a baseball guy also along those lines. Sandy Koufax yeah, uh, right. went into the booth at NBC and he was terrible. Yeah. He was terrible and he knew it and he, knew and, it. And he, and he quit. He quit. Yeah. And he was a great guy. And the same thing with Montana. Montana's a great guy, but just it just didn't translate to, uh, to, to the media broadcast. Anyway, um, you know, speaking of great guys, we've got one with us today because when you read newspapers or if you went online, go to The Athletic at least, um, you went to the writers. You went to read the writers that you followed. And that's why people gravitate towards the sage in Tampa. In they, they want to read him. So if you were in or around Pittsburgh or you wanted to read about the Steelers, you had to follow today's guest, and that would be Hall of Fame voter Ed Bouchette, who last week announced his retirement from the media and who for almost all the past 40 years has been with the Pittsburgh PG Post-Gazette covering the Steelers. Um, Ed, first of all, thanks for being here. Secondly, congratulations on a career that has your name on the walls of the Pro Football Hall of Fame as the winner of what was then the McCann Award. And welcome to the other side, Ed. <laughs> Thanks, Clark. Thanks, Ira. Yeah, it, I've had a week of it now. I uh, went down and saw my grandkids, including a new one in Atlanta. And uh, uh, it's, it's so far, it's fun after one week. <laughs> Ed, how'd you come to this decision and why now? Well, I turned 70 last August, Clark, and I always said that would be the limit. And then I went beyond the limit, you know, um, I did one more season. I just, I, I, frankly, I get tired of it. I mean, everybody knows our, this is a great job and I loved the job, but I also enjoyed not doing it. And uh, I've done it for long enough. I didn't want to be one of those guys that they said, ah, the game has passed them by. We've right. heard that players. I didn't want to hear it about me. So um, it was time. And, you know, you only have so much time left and, I still have my health and I can, can do some things like play around with my eight grandchildren. Okay. Aside wow. from playing around with your eight grandchildren and covering and cutting the lawn, also covering the lawn, you have to do that every spring. Uh, what's next for you? Do you have anything in the works in terms of um, either media work or writing or anything like that? I retired Clark. So I don't have to do that. Uh, I've already been offered to do a book. I don't want to do it. Uh, maybe next year, he said, we'll see next year, but I don't know that anybody want to buy it anyway, but um, uh, no, I have no plans to do anything. I was doing radio here, mm -hmm. uh, paid to do it. I stopped that uh, last week as well. And, um, you know, on, on occasion, if somebody asked me to do something, uh, go on like with you guys or, you know, local radio, I told them all I'd do it, um, but I don't want to do it very often. Ed, Eddie, congratulations, my friend. Uh, Ed, <laughs> I'm going to take you back to a, uh, a remarkable season, Ed, early in your career, real early. Uh, 1984, my friend, you are covering the Pittsburgh Maulers, not the Steelers, Eddie. And your introduction to pro football, 3-15, and 15, Ed, 3-15. and 15. Um, Ed DeBartolo Sr., not junior, is the owner of the team 
Ed, take me through uh, what happened because I think in October uh, of 84, that first season, uh, the Bartolo wraps up the team. It, it's done. Uh, he, he folds the team. Ed, did you see that coming? And what was it like covering that, that, that season? Well, that, that meeting you're talking about in October was in, um, oh, that island off Jacksonville, that famous island. Amelia Island. Amelia Island. Amelia island. Yeah. I was there, and as soon as they went, they announced they were going to the fall, and we all knew that it was headed that way, then we knew the Maulers were toast because they weren't going head-to-head -head with the uh, Steelers, and that's what DeBartolo said. But, yeah, 3-15, and 15, and they had the Heisman Trophy winner that year, Mike Rozier. They signed him right after the Orange Bowl under the goalposts, I believe, um, when Nebraska played. and uh, But they just weren't very well coached. Um, and they just, you know, they lost a lot of close games. But what was notable to me is I interviewed Donald Trump on the phone because he was um, he was pushing for, you know, them to move to the fall. He thought that his New Jersey team then would be absorbed by the NFL. And instead of having a USFL team, he had an NFL team, which none of that worked out. But then when the Maulers played in um, New Jersey, I was chatting with him and his wife, Ivanka, uh, no, Ivana, um, in the, uh, uh, now I'm going to confuse, it was Ivana, yeah, his daughter's Ivana, <laughs> in the press box there at Giant Stadium, just the three of us, um, so it was, it was a different world then, it did break me into beat work, now I'd started covering Steeler home games in 74, 75 for a small paper here, but um, it, it introduced me to beat work, and uh, Ron Cook had covered for the other paper in Pittsburgh, at the time, the press, and we just, we covered it like we would cover the Steelers. We went tooth and nail. Hey, Ed, did uh, Trump ask you to be his press secretary uh, at, uh, <laughs> at any point? <laughs> Ed, uh, you know, you know, this show uh, is the eye test for two. Uh, we talk a lot about the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Ed. Uh, Ed, I'm going to give you the floor for a couple of minutes uh, on a couple of guys. One of them, Clark and I are very high on in terms of Heinz Ward. We both feel that he, his value goes way beyond his numbers. Uh, uh, Ed and, and Elsie Greenwood, who, who you also covered, left defensive end uh, of the steel curtain. Um, Ed, he, he knocked down three Tarkenton passes in, in one Super Bowl, and he had four sacks of Storback in another Super Bowl, Ed. So what about those two guys? Well, Elsie Greenwood, I've long thought should have been in, and this is nothing against Donnie Shell, but I thought he he was uh, uh, more valuable to those teams for a longer time. Not for a longer time, but he started earlier with Donnie Shell. Um, he was uh, the uh, other big name in that uh, steel curtain uh, front four, which only has one Hall of Famer and Joe Green. You know, it was Joe Green, Dwight White, Fats Holmes. And LC and LC was a pass rushing dynamo when quarterback sacks weren't even official, you know, uh, stat in the league yet. Um, as for Hines, um, he's fighting that receiver thing. You know, everybody's getting big numbers now. Um, Hines played on a team that preferred to run the ball. He played early in his career without any great quarterbacks. I mean, he started in 98 and Ben, he came in in 98 and Ben didn't come to 04. 
He played on a Northern team, uh, bad weather, all that stuff. He was a great blocker. He was a Super Bowl MVP, um, a huge team guy. But, you know, it, he again, he's fighting all the numbers, you know, and the numbers are tremendous with a lot of receivers and they're only growing. So while I'm, I'm big in his corner, I don't know that he's, He's never made the finals. He's 25 and then out. Yeah, but Ed, as you know from this year, what happened with Bryant Young, you disappear, you cannot be in the finals and then suddenly come back and make a and make a run too. Um, and uh, that happened with Steve Atwater as well a couple of years ago. We're with Ed Bouchette on the eye test for two. And Eddie, what's, who was your favorite Steeler to cover and why? Oh, I, I Clark, there were too many and there, you can hear my Boston Terrier in the background. I'm sorry. Uh, he doesn't like the response. He wants to single somebody out. Named <laughs> Big Poppy since he's a Boston Terrier. Um, <laughs> uh, there were too many Clark, and I would leave somebody out. Certainly, Jerome Bettis was really uh, one of my favorites because not only did he always talk, he always had something to say. He was uh, the heart and soul of those teams for a long time. And, you know, you can get the backup left guard to talk anytime. You get the, the number one guys not just only willing to talk to you all the time, but to uh, to say something, you know, not just, uh, well, we have to get ready for this game kind of thing, uh, to, to say something that's worth worth writing. Uh, I can go back to Bobby Brister back in the uh, 80s. I mean, he was a colorful quarterback. Uh, he took... Um, maybe some uh, 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 some some shots here because teams weren't very good, but he wound up in Denver helping them win a Super Bowl when Elway was part. Um, you know, uh, recently I put Ben Roethlisberger in that class, not quite in the Jerome class, but he was always, uh, I found him always interesting, always available. You know how these quarterbacks are where they have one meeting with the media a week and that's it. I could go up to Ben anytime I wanted. Um and there was just so many, so many others. Um, Marquise Pouncey, the lineman I found, uh, Clark, always interesting. Right, right. And Cam Hayward now is, he just won that good guy award from yeah. pro football writers. He is outstanding as well for all the things I mentioned. Big, you know, big name, big part of the team, always willing to talk, always has something to say. Ira, don't you find that's the case, though, when you're covering a team? I, mean, I was covering teams in San Francisco and San Diego and Baltimore. To me, the offensive linemen always knew what was going on. They were some of the smartest guys, too. And people said, we don't want to read about them. That's OK. But I wanted to hear from them because I knew that they could tell you what was going on. I couldn't agree more, Clark. Absolutely gravitate towards the offensive line. Yeah. Um, sometimes you went there at your own risk, too, because I remember a couple episodes in, in, in San Francisco where I went, not sure I want to go over there. But it, I found that once I was there, um, they gave me everything I wanted, even more so. Um, then let me ask you this, uh, Ed. You, you're, you're not going to tell me your favorite Steeler to cover. And I understand why, because when I was around that team, I thought they were wonderful to, to be around. And I go back a little bit farther because I caught the tail end of Bradshaw's career. <laughs> I would go in that locker room. And Bradshaw would be the last guy there. He was filling a notebook. I mean, he was phenomenal. And I said, God, he's, and he was in a losing locker room. I went there after a San Diego playoff game and the Chargers were after all the media because they were angry with what was written. So I go over to talk to the losing quarterback, who's a Hall of Famer. 
and he was filling the notebook. He was he was wonderful. Um, but I want to ask you about your your maybe your favorite Steeler memory. I mean, if you have one uh, favorite game, one favorite incident, one favorite memory that you can think of, what would it be? Your first one in line. Oh, Clark, without a doubt, a, a Super Bowl. I lost the numbers now, yeah. um, but they beat the Cardinals um, on Ben Roethlisberger's pass to San Antonio Holmes. For the drama, for the James Harrison play that ended the first half was incredible. I still think it's the best play in Super Bowl history. I I think it might be, well, I think it is more important to them than the uh, immaculate reception. Whoa. Immaculate, well, the immaculate reception won a playoff game. This won a Super Bowl. Yeah. They don't, if he doesn't pull that off, I think the Cardinals win that Super Bowl. They're going in for the touchdown. He turns it around. That's a 14 point swing. Yeah. And then just that pass, the drive too, uh, that won the game. Um, you know, uh, they were they were going to get beaten by a pit pit graduate, Larry Fitzgerald, um, yep. because he scored a really <laughs> great touchdown against a great defense. And uh, Ben starts out, and they uh, they have a holding penalty to start out. Uh, I think they started at the fourteen. 86 yards is that how long that drive was anyway so he just throw and he completes virtually every pass until San Antonio Holmes drops one in the end zone and then he goes right back to him in the next play and you know it's history it yeah. just that to me was it has to go down as the greatest thing I've greatest game I've ever covered because of the importance and the drama and the fact the team I was covering won. Yeah, I know, you know, you know, Rick Oslin, well, who's a Hall of Fame voter and a, and a right. colleague of ours. And and he he told me once he thought that was the most perfect pass ever thrown in a Super Bowl because of the tightness of the window. I mean, it, it Roethlisberger, we had him on a, a Talk of Fame Network uh, interview years ago, and he said when he let the ball go, he thought it'd be intercepted. But when you watch the window that that thing was put in, it was a perfectly thrown pass. Yeah. And then him having to get those two two toes in uh yeah in that's right and perfect um, right just and where did it happen gentlemen right here in tampa gentlemen <laughs> there you go it all comes back to tampa well those steelers have won three of their super bowls in florida so there there you go, there you go. eddie i want to ask i want to ask you about your craft a little bit ed because i look at you as a as a craftsman uh with admiration um Ed, the young guys that are coming up now, the kid's 25 years old. He's a couple of years out of college. He, he, he works cheap relatively to give him a beat job uh, on an NFL beat. Um, Ed, a couple of your best advices in terms of some of the key lessons you learned as a young reporter. What, what do you say to the 25-year-old beat reporter that's never done it? Go cover high schools. That's how I had to do it. That's how a lot of us had to do it. You know, I used to, I started at a two man staff, um, had to cover college in, in our town, Indiana, PA and, uh, IUP, which is where I graduated and had to cover all the high schools. And then on Sundays I said, I'm going to go cover the Steelers too, you know, my off day. So, uh, uh, go cover the high schools, keep stats. You have to keep your own stats. Nobody's delivering quotes to you. You have to run down the coach <laughs> and a couple players, maybe. I still can remember going where there was no press box and it was raining and I had to run along the sidelines, yep. keeping stats underneath some plastic 
and the people behind me yelling, get down in front. <laughs> that's, right. that's, that's my advice to them, Ira. Don't go straight to a pro beat because uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that you can do that anymore. But, you know, here's another thing. The modern stuff, I, I was never into, I never wanted to delve deeply into the X's and O's. I, 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 I never looked, I tape all the games on TV because if I missed something, I wanted to go back and watch it. I hardly ever watch those things. Now everybody's watching coaches tapes and they're analyzing what the left guard did, you know, grading what this guy did and they don't know their assignments or anything else. You know, it's not like in baseball where a guy commits an error and no, he committed that error. Um, I, that, that took me crazy. I was in for the stories um, most of all and, and not into, you know, how this guy could block in space and all that other crap. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you've been, Ed, you did it for so long that I, I, I'd be shocked if this didn't happen, Ed, but you tell me. Um, and maybe it happened more than once. Ed, you write a story. It's got some quotes in it. You come in the next day and, and the guy says, either you misquoted me, Ed, or what I told you was off the record. And how'd you handle that, especially the one about, hey, Bouchette, that, that's supposed, that was supposed to be off the record. You know, I, unfortunately, that didn't happen very often to me. I, I, I'm trying to remember back when, if, if stuff like that did happen, um, uh, you know, probably with one time with Ben, it was a misunderstanding, only because he sent me a text and it didn't say off the record or anything. And I just used it. And he said later, and he wasn't angry or anything. He said, I thought that was between us. And I said, Ben, if you want it between us, please let me know beforehand. Right. Because I just thought you were answering my question. Um, I mean, I, I've gotten into arguments with people over stories. I remember Gary Anderson being really upset with me to kick her because of a headline. And I told him, Gary, I said, just read the story. Just, you know, the headline's not mine. They tell you that we don't write the headlines. And he says, all I know, Ed, is your name was on it. And I go, oh, good Lord. And I've gotten into it with coaches many times, you know. Um, but uh, we always, I thought, respected each other. I got into it with Noel once. Good, good, real good. And uh, he was fine after that. It was early in 1985 when I started covering him. And I got into it with Cower a couple of times. You know, Cower was very emotional and, and didn't hide his emotions. And uh, we got into it a couple of times. But I could get him on the phone anytime I want. And, you know, he always shrugged it off. He didn't hold grudges. Yeah, you know, I think all of us have had moments like that. And when I was talking about the offensive linemen, I think back to when I was covering the 49ers and Kevin Gogan was an offensive line with, with him and he's a tough guy and he's huge. And he called me over to that section and he asked me about something I had written. And uh, so we went back and forth and it's an intimidating scene because you're among offensive linemen who are three times your size and he's talking down to you. And I went, this guy's angry. And, and we had it out and, and I defended what I wrote. He defended what he said. And at the end of it, he said, I don't agree with you and you don't agree with me and we'll leave it at that. But I'll tell you what, 
the fact that you came over here and held your ground, I respect that. And these guys respect that. And he said, one thing we do respect is people who don't back down. You come over here anytime you want. And from then on, it was easy. It was easy. I guarantee, Clark, I guarantee that when Bouchette wrote something on, on, on a Thursday, he showed up on Friday. Oh, no question. had a problem with it. No yeah. question. And I'd say, you know, when you're talking about young writers, that's the thing. If, if something's out there, you don't want to be a hit and run driver. You go out the next day and face the music. And, and that's happened to all of us at, at some well, time. The last couple of years, you could face the Zoom calls. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's <laughs> you know, right. as a beat guy, though, for a major paper, you don't have much choice but show up every day, right? Yeah, uh, that's right. 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 But, but the, the, one, of, one of the funniest things was uh, another offensive lineman, Craig Wolfley, who started for a long time with the Steelers and is now uh, one of their broadcasters, mistook me for another reporter early in my career at training camp. And he came up to me, was on crutches. He had a knee injury and he starts hollering at me. Don't you dare call my wife at home again. But apparently some other, well, not apparently, some other reporter called his wife at home and he mistook me for that other reporter. And I got this quizzical look on my face. And after he's done hollering at me, he finally stops. He looks at me, he says, you're so-and-so, aren't you? I go, oh, no, Craig, I'm Ed Bouchette. He goes, Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that was 30-some <laughs> years ago, and he still apologizes when he sees <laughs> Hey, Ed, uh, last one for me. What are you going to miss most about this? What are you going to miss most about uh, not covering football? You guys. Well, you guys. And what I mean by that is all my colleagues around the country, guys I worked with here, I'll probably keep in touch with some of them. But just, um, and I've heard a lot, uh, I've heard from a lot of people since I retired, I just, I don't mean just sports writers, but uh, PR people. I've heard from a number of PR people around the league uh, that I've met through the years, uh, coaches and scouts I've heard from, um, but many, many uh, in the media writers, you know, that I've had long associations with, I'm going to miss. Um, and I'll miss going to a few cities. Ed, uh, last couple for me. Um, thanks so much for doing this, Ed. Um, and I, I got to know Mike Tomlin in, in Tampa. Uh, he was on uh, John Gruden's staff, coaching the defensive backs, won a Super Bowl. Uh, I followed his career. I saw him uh, a, a couple of months ago at the NFL meetings, and he always treats me well. Um, he can be a tough hombre, Ed uh, Tomlin. He, he does things a certain way. In a lot of ways, I think he epitomizes the Steeler philosophy. No excuses. Let's move on. Ed, your relationship with, with Tomlin and number two, Ed, such a passionate fan base in Pittsburgh. And I know you heard it many times. Ed, don't aren't you rooting for Pittsburgh, Ed? Don't you uh, don't you hope that the Steelers win some of the negative things you write? We don't understand it. Aren't you part of the team, Ed? And maybe some of the players uh, also believe that you have to straighten them out. Ed, what, what was your response in that regard? Well, it's funny, Ira. Um, you know, I got a lot of well wishes from fans, uh, and I wrote a final story for the Athletic, and the Post Gazette wrote a couple stories on me, and so I've seen it on Twitter, and I've seen it at comments at the end of the stories, and almost all of them are good. This one guy wrote, "Ah, he should have retired five years ago. All he's doing is bashing the Steelers," you know, and um, 
you get I I've got not only bashing the Steelers but Homer. You're a nothing but a Homer, and so if you can maybe get a little bit of both of those, you know, you're doing you're doing your job, That's right. baby. That's right. That's right. Uh, I, I you know I don't really have much response. People, you know, they can say what they want to say. The readers, um, the players. I never got that much from them. Like you don't support us. I just maybe they just understood. Maybe they understood. Uh, what I did or, you know, I don't know. I never got much of that. As for Mike Ira, um, he's been a coach, you know, we have your typical probably coach writer relationship. It's not chummy. It's respectful. It's, um, you know, he's been interesting at times. Um, I don't, I didn't, I've never been in his office like I was with Chuck Knoll and Bill Cower. Um, but that's okay too. Uh, he wrote me a nice note, and I got it through the mail from him when I, I joined the athletic. Um, so he's he's a good egg. Uh, I think he's a good coach. He gets bashed here in Pittsburgh for I don't know why. They, I think it's a case of not realizing what they have here, um, and thinking they need to win the Super Bowl every year, or you're a bum. Um, but uh, I think he's, I think he's a good man, and. Uh, uh, I think he'll be a coach here for as long as he wants to be, actually. No, not if he keeps going three and 15, <laughs> like the Maulers. <laughs> like the Maulers, but he's never had a losing season. Never had no. a losing season. That's a yeah, remarkable. That's hey, uh, Ed, I'm going to sneak one last one in here since uh, Ira mentioned uh, something about the head coach. Uh, you, you're losing the quarterback in Pittsburgh, too. How much is Pittsburgh and are the Steelers going to miss Big Ben? Oh, well, They'll find out when they start playing. Now, he didn't play very well last year for many reasons, both uh, his immobility and the offensive line in front of him. I didn't think gave him enough time. So, um, you know, the memory of him is not going to be like he was at the top of his game one year and it's gone the next. Yeah. Um, But, you know, uh, unless their next quarterback starts, doing the things he did they'll miss him but it also they won't miss him at these quarterbacks if Kenny Pickett picks it up and is a is a great quarterback it'll be like it'll be like Green Bay when they moved on from Favre to Rodgers you know or San Francisco when they went from Montana to Young um hey thanks for the memories but this guy's doing it now you know And Bouchette, speaking of thanks for the memories, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy retirement and go cut the line, please. Yeah, thanks, fellas. <laughs> thanks, not, Ed. You got it. Thanks, Ed. Not, all right. See that you. was Hall of Fame voter Ed Bouchette. And Ira, one of the great ones. Ed, terrific, terrific reporter. Got a lot of Steelers in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I sure hope he stays on the Pro Football Hall of Fame Board of Selectors. Uh, he told us before he went on, he's not sure. I sure hope he does. Clark, you know, you and I, I don't want to age us, but uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Clark, we're at that time where, where guys are hanging it up. Ray, Ray Didinger, Les, Les Bowen, and, and, you know, Domowich, all from Philadelphia. I yeah, mean, from- kind of legends, legends. And it, it's happening every, every week, Clark, every week. Yeah, maybe it's something in water in, in Pennsylvania. I don't know. <laughs> Whoa. You hear that, Aaron? Wait a minute. Weren't you somewhere over there, Clark? Where were I was. you? I was. I was in Baltimore, Maryland on Sunday night, December 6, 2010. So in keeping with the conversation about the Steelers, it was a Steelers-Ravens game. 
my favorite rivalry. I love when those two teams meet. And this was a classic, classic Steelers-Ravens game. 10-6, to late in the fourth quarter. Doesn't get better than this. Defensive struggle, 10-6, late in the fourth quarter. Steelers are down. And for some reason, Baltimore decides to have Joe Flacco throw the ball. He drops back, Troy Palomalo sacks him. Fumbles. Oh, it's picked up by Woodley. He re- returns it to the Ravens uh, nine. Okay, well, now there's about three minutes left in the game. They need a touchdown. Field goal they need a touchdown. They they need a touchdown. The first play of the series, Roethlisberger rolls left. He's trying to throw the ball downfield, and th- there is Terrell Suggs right in his face. And it's, it's a sack. It's probably going to be an eight-yard sack. Suggs has got him around the waist. You know how big Big Ben is, right? That's why they call him Big Ben. Come around the waist, and he's going to throw him down, except he can't get him down. Roethlisberger shifts the ball from his right hand to his left, and he throws an incomplete pass. Might have been the best throw I ever saw by Ben Roethlisberger because it extended the drive from the nine. They didn't lose any, any, any time being sacked, and they didn't lose yardage. Threw an incomplete on the next pass, and on third down, throws a TD to J.R. Redmond. Ball game, 14-10. Steelers, it was a big deal. It ended a Ravens eight-game winning streak. Also, Ben Roethlisberger, you talk about toughness. He broke his nose on the first series of that game and played with a sprained right foot. And yet he was 23 of 38 for 253 yards. And, oh, yeah, that one touchdown. You're describing a Hall of Famer. That's what you're describing. That's correct. Um, Speaking of Hall of Famers, Ira, I'm going to ask you. You're a Hall of Famer. You should be Hall of Famer. We got Hall of Fame producer Ian. You got some final thoughts here? Well, I'll, I'll say this, Clark. Uh, I'm trying to get over my Brady fatigue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're coming back there. We're coming and, back to that. And Clark, I, I'll say this. I might be the only one in America. I, I will not watch that golf match. I have no interest. <laughs> And I don't care if Patrick Mahomes gets two eagles. I ain't watching it. Uh, And, Clark, here's my very last one. As a 76ers fan, since the days of Wilt Chamberlain, that was one pathetic Game 5 effort by the 76ers. Well, yeah, since you mentioned the NBA, I was going to mention the the passing of Bob Lanier this week on Tuesday at the age of 73, Hall of Famer. I mean, this Hall of Fame thing show. Uh, I had a short illness, apparently. Great player, great guy. But Ira, what do you remember about Bob Lanier? The size well, of his shoes. You remember that? They said 20, 22s? 22, 22. 22, which they said is it's the same as Shaq's, Shaquille O'Neal, for the biggest in NBA history. And then, of course, I think it was in 1989 or something, the, the, uh, some, some guy from uh, Converse, told the Atlanta JC Junior Journal Constitution, no, no, you got it all wrong. Size 18 and a half. I don't care what it is. He was huge. Those were big feet, and they were big shoes to fill, and really nobody ever filled them. Kind of like and, in the show. And, and Clark, in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, he was with the Milwaukee Bucks. They had a heck of a team. They did. They had, they had, Dunkley, they did. They had Marcus Johnson. They yeah. had Paul Cressy, but yeah, they yeah. were facing Boston and Philly. And they just couldn't get past them. And no discredit to Bob Lanier. A great college player, too. At St. Bonnie. Yeah, St. Bonnie. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ara, it, 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 just because you didn't notice, Ian kind of liked that when I said, kind of like the show. You know, tough to fill those shoes. I'm talking <laughs> about you, Ira. Tough to fill your <laughs> shoes. Anyway, <laughs> he missed it. 
Ian didn't. Thanks, Ian. That's going to do it. If you'd like to hear more I Test for Two podcasts, just go to our website, fullpresscoverage.com, pull down the podcast icon, and click on the I Test for Two. If you don't want to do it, that's your choice. We'll be here. We're going to be here next week. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you then.